Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Awesome to be with you today. My name is Steve Thomas. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. And let me just echo the call to come to pray first this Wednesday night. And we're going to do something a little different. If you're married, I would love for you to be there. Bring your wife, bring your whole family. We're going to do at the very beginning. We're going to pray for you as a couple and you as a family. And you say, well, if I show up at a pray first event and we're going to pray for my family, it means I must have a problem in my marriage. Let me just tell you, no one is confused about that. Everyone has problems in their marriage, right? Does anyone not have you just, maybe, maybe the Gravens or the Rusbolts have been married 72 years or something like that. They probably got it all figured out. All the rest of us, we need to be prayed for. I would love for us to gather as families. Bring your whole family. We'll release you if, you, if your kids are going wild, that's fine. But I would really love it at 6.33 just to gather and let's pray for couples and families and then uh, We'll go on and pray for other things. But I just want that to be a focus as we're in this series called Gospel-Shaped Family. And the whole idea is that we don't want to live a rule-shaped life, right? That's legalism. We want to live a gospel-shaped life, a life that is centered around the idea that Jesus Christ paid a price I could never pay for myself to make me acceptable to the God of the universe when I never could be. I want to live a life in light of that. See, a gospel-shaped life is lived, it's, it goes way beyond rules. It says, I will really dis- I'm ready to sacrifice for you. It's all about letting people know who Jesus is. And so today, we're going to be talking about missional marriage as we consider a gospel-shaped life. And the title of today's message is, Missional Marriage, Why Did We Get Married? Don't look at your spouse right now. Don't look over there and go, man, I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) What were they thinking? How did they actually agree? But it's important for us to ask that question. Why in the world did we get married? Because, you know, it used to be that culturally that's just what you did. You got to a certain age, you were expected to marry. And if you didn't, it was really weird. But today people think about it and they go, why are we going to get married? Is it it better for us because we're going to have children? Maybe it's better financially. Maybe it's better legally. There's just some, some things that people think about when they consider why are we going to get married. And that's not a bad thing. I think people should be intentional about marriage, doing it for a reason, doing it for a purpose. When we ask that question in premarital counseling, it's always interesting. There's usually a chuckle, and the guy looks at the girl, and he goes, well, isn't it obvious? This is way better than I thought I could do. Or the girl will say, you know, I really like his sincerity of his heart. Because, right, all guys are ugly, amen? Can, we, can, I get a, can I get a, right? Guys, we marry, we have no chance otherwise to have beautiful children unless we marry well. That's the only chance that we have. But in marriage, we're making some decision. We want to get married because a lot of times it's, I could be more, we could be more together than we could be separately. I, I'm missing something, you know. I married fun when I married Julie, one of the reasons, right? I married godliness and fun. That's what it was all about. Uh, she married a vacuum cleaner. I think I had the vacuum cleaner, right? <laughs> um, but there's reasons why we get married, and it's important. We need to be on mission in our marriage. I'm going to ask Julie to come 
and share with a little bit about why in the world we got married. I know you've all been wondering all these years, um, but I want her to share a little bit. Honey, you expected to marry somebody a little different. You expected to marry someone in ministry. I sure did. And you guys, on Monday, we celebrated 35 years 35 together. years, baby. Yay. My mom had a little birthday cake for us. We got to celebrate with all our kids and grandkids. It was amazing. All together. It was wonderful to celebrate and to look back. We uh, recently took a, uh, a, a canoe trip down our river just to reflect on all the things that the Lord has done in our marriage and being on mission with him. And as a little girl that was raised by a single mom because my father had died, I was wondering, curious about marriage growing up. And then I got this awful burn on my leg, having caught on fire, getting too close to the fireplace on Christmas morning. I just felt so ugly. And uh, listening to Sunday school teachers, listening to my mother starting to learn to read the Bible and listening to the preacher and trying to understand best I could as a little girl. God said, I want to be your father. And I want to tell you who you are. And these songs that we sang this morning really reflect that. He's a miracle worker and a, and a way maker. And he drew me in, told me who I was, told me who you are on the inside is what matters. Would you reflect who I am? And would you believe me telling you that I've created you on purpose for a wonderful reason. And I want to love you, and I want to love others through you. And by the time I was 17, I felt compelled to go into full-time Christian service to share these things with other people that would listen and want to learn. Because God is really, really true and really right to, wait to, to do life his way. So I went on to college and to seminary to try to learn about family life, learn about marriage, Learn about parenting as a mother and a father both together and how to do that in ministry on staff at a church. And I really, that was coupled with wanting to marry a pastor. But God led me to marry an engineer. I knew right away hey, this was amen. God's man amen. for me. I mean, look at this. Amen. <laughs> it's obvious, isn't it? Praise God. Whom all I blessings mean, flow. what a lucky girl am I. There was an immediate chemistry, and oh, he loved the Lord. At 23 years old, he was already teaching high school boys Sunday school, that that's where his heart was. Part of my job on staff at First Baptist Houston was as a biblical counselor to do the engaged couples workshops all day on a Saturday, at least once every six weeks, because there were so many weddings in our church. And I asked his new boyfriend, would you come lead this with me? Let me just try you out. I'm telling you, it was just magic from that first moment of his passion for the scriptures that I had and his desire to want to see people come to an understanding of what God's ways were and that they work. As young as we were, that was where our hearts were. So I wanted a marriage on mission regardless of the job that he had. He wanted to have a marriage on mission as well, and that's all I needed. And so we got married, and then in the process of this relationship, it's important to note that I told her, I said, you know what, one of the things that's going to happen is the industry, the oil industry is kind of crashing. I was an engineer in that field. I'm probably going to relocate. And I thought that might be a deal breaker because she had such a great life in Houston. I was on staff at a large church. We had a lot of friends. It was awesome. And so sure enough, nine months after we got married, we relocated 
to this desolate uh, place far from God called West Palm Beach, Florida. <laughs> and you found yourself well in a different I knew, place. Well, I knew th in, in the possibility of moving that I had to choose that I want to continue with a career that, that I felt I, I wanted to do for God. Or would I be willing to hear him say, I want you to continue on mission with me, but as a family? And that means looking at things a little differently. In our premarital counseling, the psychologist said, Julie, you have a really strong personality. You're going to have to learn how to be uh, a pair in marriage. And if you don't marry Steve Thomas, you likely won't even get married. If, if, you're, if you're so set on doing life your own way, your own personal way, or if you think you're going to get somebody who's absolutely 100% perfect. And so the, I was willing to consider marrying somebody that wasn't in ministry and to even move away from this great dream job that I had for the sake of continuing with God on mission with having my own family first before I would be able to teach others of what I was learning about marriage and family. Amen. And so we came here, and our focus was to reach the world through our family and to operate and function in the church in order to make disciples. We came for his job, but I knew that God would have a purpose in our marriage and that that was the higher priority, regardless of what job I would have. But it was very hard on me, on my ego, to not have a continued career that I thought was as dream a job as, as I was used to. So um, God showed me I had to be humble and not be self-centered, but to uh, support Steve in his huge adjustment from being an engineer to being a technical sales. And as outgoing as he can be, he really is an introvert, and it takes a lot of energy for him to do work, and so he would come home really tired. And I knew and that my cranky. first ministry would be to my husband. Uh, and if the Great Commission is to make disciples of the world, it has to start in your home. Amen. And that, <coughs> excuse me, and that was our mission. And that's how we moved into really this place of having a family. And ultimately, uh, how many years later? 17, 10, well, basically 17 years after we got married. About 16, I recall the numbers. So that's a little bit of our story. Thank you so much for sharing, darling. That's a little bit of our, give her a round of applause for sharing today. Um, you know, I tell a lot of family stories, and sometimes they involve Julie. I wanted you to hear exactly from her so you knew I wasn't making it up. So, <laughs> um, Or preachers embellish a little bit sometimes. But, you know, it's important. Did you hear in her voice that it was about being on mission? Marriage needs a mission. Otherwise, it can really kind of devolve into a partnership. You say, well, isn't it a partnership? Isn't it 50-50? No, actually, marriage is 100-100, right? If it's 50-50, we're just kind of, we're kind of trading favors, if you will, right? It's all about saying, well, listen, uh, you buy a new dress, and I'll get to go to the Dolphins game, right? That's fair. Uh, we spend time with your terrible friends, and you spend time with my terrible friends, right? We kind of had this as a, it becomes a trade-off, and it's really not a marriage. It's just a partnership, and it's really hard to keep score, Right? That's all you wind up doing. Listen, I get this many fun points, and you get this many fun points, and it's really not fun. Huh? I'm plug. Can you hear me? 
Am I messed up? My plug's messed up? See, that is the problem with Christianity. Some people are not plugged in appropriately. How's that? That's, it's plugged in all the way. Is it working? Is it not working? Do I need to turn this one off or use this one? Everybody at home, we're just having a little bit of technical difficulty. Do you use this one? Okay. Check, check. Oh, oh, yeah. I feel like a lounge singer. Great to have you all today. <laughs> hey, you two are sitting a little too close over there. Um, anyway, where was I, baby? Oh, yes, yes. Marriage is not a partnership. It's not about getting some of her and some of you and putting that together to make it more than you had before. Marriage should be a sole proprietorship where God, the master, owns both parties, and they work together to accomplish his purpose. See, that's what marriage is. It's so easy for it to become a partnership, so easy to trade favors, but what we have to understand is we need a mission that we can both get behind. You see, Julie paid a huge price, honestly, to leave what we had in Houston and what she had built in Houston to come to a place where we were really starting over. But the mission was clear. We're going to affect the world through our family. And we're going to get involved in the local church. And that is our mission. And so we can endure the fact that, hey, this probably isn't the most fun time in our lives. It was a really difficult first three or four years. I was learning to be a salesman, as she said, and I was terrible. I mean, awful. But God used that time to grow us. And our mission began to have this family that now lives in three states, serving the Lord, trying to make disciples and make him known. That's really what our mission is, and marriage is always about mission. Marriage is always about mission. You have to think about marriage in that light. It should be about mission. Matter of fact, if you're single today and you are fine achieving God's purpose without a mate, you don't need to be married. Paul would, Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 you don't need to pursue a spouse in order to accomplish God's purpose, right? It's only if you believe that God has a mission for you, as Julie shared, in order that you need a spouse in order to do that, that you should get married. It's really fine for you to be single. But if you're married, or if you want to get married, it should have a mission to it. See, God created marriage with mission in mind. Look with me, Genesis chapter 1. And two, Genesis chapter one and two, it's on the screen or you can get out your device or your Bible. The Bible looks like this. Don't know if anybody's ever seen one, um, but uh, your device is just fine. Follow along at Genesis chapter one, verse 26, and we see how God started this whole idea of marriage. Genesis chapter one, the word of the Lord says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. So God creates man and woman. He creates them to do what? To multiply, to procreate, to have dominion over God's creation. God is saying, I've created this. Now I want you to manage it. I want you to run it. This is how I'm going to work with you. It's heaven and earth working together, which is such an amazing thing. God created man and woman in order to do this. It's a beautiful picture in Genesis chapter 1. And in line with Hebrew thought, Genesis 1 is kind of the overview of God's creation. And Genesis 2 is kind of doing some specifics, and that's how Hebrew writing normally works. It's an overview followed by some specifics. And in chapter 2, the author tells us how God created woman and how he created marriage. Read with me Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says this. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called them, every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And for Adam, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I love how God introduces marriage. In verse 18, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And then he goes and he starts explaining how Adam was naming all the creatures of the world. And you start thinking, what does that have to do with anything? That's important because God is alerting Adam to his need. He says, there's not good for man to be alone. And so Adam starts his role as having dominion over the creation, over managing the creation. God brings to him all the different animals for him to name. And I know we kind of think that's kind of silly in a nursery rhyme. Well, God, Adam just saw this one and he thought of the word cow. Well, that's really not how it was, right? When, when you name something in Hebrew thought, you are naming it based on its characteristics, which means he would have known them. He would have studied them. He was a great biologist, apparently, and he, was, he would look at them. He would study them and said, this name, this animal should have this name because of these characteristics. And in light of that, Adam would have seen that there's a male and there's a female and probably even offspring. So he has this huge task, and in the midst of it, he starts to realize, wait a minute, I see male, I see female, I see offspring, and then I see me. And there's no one like me. There's no other creature that's made of the same stuff as me. So Adam has a sense that I need help, which is the cry of every man looking for a wife. Amen? I need some help. I need some fashion sense. 
I need some help doing stuff. Well, seriously, a man says, I need help. I don't have what it takes to do God's assignment. Physically, I don't have the ability to reproduce on my own. But I also need help in the work that God has given me, this incredible assignment to name all these creatures, to, to manage, to, pro- to propagate God's creation. I need some help. I need some help. And so God creates woman out of the flesh of man, the same stuff as man, but different. Equal value, different role. And he brings them together, and he recognizes her. He says, oh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. This is what I have needed, someone to work with me, someone to carry out the purposes of God with me. And I love, and it says at the end, it says, um, he said, a man shall what? Leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the idea there is that there's an exclusivity. You leave your mother and father and you hold fast to this wife. You stay with this wife. There's permanence. And, and then they become one flesh. God actually sees them as one flesh. And that's what God does in marriage. And it's an incredible picture. And I love the last line that they were both naked and they weren't ashamed, which really means there's nothing they're hiding from one another. There's openness. There's beauty. There's sharing together. There's this ideal relationship of a man and a woman fitting together the way God intended for them to fit, functioning to achieve his purpose. I sort of wish the story ended there, didn't you? Wouldn't you like to live that way? And you kind of wish that that was it, and there wasn't a chapter 3 of Genesis. But in Genesis chapter 3, something awful happens. Adam and Eve listen to the serpent, and Eve takes the fruit, the forbidden fruit, the fruit that is supposed to make one like God, if you will. It's a, supposed that, that is, means that they really saw that God was withholding something from them, and they needed to have what God didn't want them to have. There's this rebellion that takes hold, and Eve takes the fruit, and she eats it, and she shares it with Adam, who apparently is standing there listening. And Adam had been told directly by God, don't do this. But he passively allows her to do that, and he participates. And then as God promised, they begin the process of death, and they are about to be ushered out of the garden, and the beast is cursed, and then man is told that, listen, you had this perfect relationship with me. It was going to be great. You were going to propagate the garden. It was going to be a life where you were perfectly fit to serve. It wasn't going to be really all that hard. It was just going to be wonderful. And what happens? You're going to have to go out and by the sweat of your brow, you're going to produce food. You're going to feed your family. It's going to be hard. There's going to be thorns and thistles. The curse of the woman is that you're going to have pain in childbirth. And then this really interesting phrase. I love this, um, the way he says it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Part of the curse of the garden is that in marriage, there's going to be this battle over power. Your desire will be to, to leap on or take over your husband, and he will rule over you harshly. And there's this enmity that happens in marriage because of the curse. But there's really good news. Jesus Christ 
came to conquer the curse. He came to heal the enmity in marriage. He came to provide for a couple, a way for them to fit back together the way they were supposed to be in the garden, a way for them to be together, a way for them to bring great glory to him. And it's described in Ephesians chapter 5. And please read along with me. Ephesians 5, 22 says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. But as Christ does, as Christ does the church, because we are members of the body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Sadly, women hate this passage. A lot of women. None of the godly women in this room, but other women somewhere else, don't like this passage. Because they hear that word, submit to your husband, and they think, oh my goodness, I'm just supposed to be a doormat. He can do whatever he wants. And a lot of times, the reason women hate this passage is because some man has taken it and beaten them over the head with it. And said something like, you're supposed to submit to me. The Bible says so. And I say we do this. Let me just tell you this, guys. If that's where you are, you're not walking with Jesus. If you are making your wife submit or telling her she ought to submit, you've missed the boat and the point of this whole passage. You see, the point of the passage is that marriage is supposed to point to Jesus. It's supposed to be able to, for us to see Jesus in the way we are together as a couple. Jesus Christ never led that way. He never took the word of God and beat people over the head with it. He never grabbed someone by the collar and said, you better follow me. He never forced anyone to follow him. He said, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He enticed He drew people, even romanced them. I want you to come to something awesome. I want you to experience something amazing. This is going to be incredible. I have a great life for you. I have a great purpose for you. This is going to be amazing. I want you to come with me. I want you to see this. He demonstrated love. And oh, by the way, he went to the cross for his people, sacrificed himself for his people, died for his people. That's the picture we're trying to present in marriage. You see, women are made to to respond. They want to be inspired. They want to see something awesome. They don't carry life in their body for nine months in order to have a dull life. Amen? It's amazing for me that my wife almost wants my kids to take more risk than I do. Because she's like, I carried them for nine months. I didn't didn't raise them to have a boring life. We're, We're standing on a mountain overlooking the ocean. 
We're probably 15 feet off the water. It's a rocky ledge, and we're looking over the ocean. And one of my sons, who likes to do crazy stuff, said, I'm going to do a flip off of this. I said, no, you're not. I would like for you to survive, and I don't want to pick your head up off of the beach and try to put it back on. You know what my wife said? Do it. Do it. This is going to be great. Treasure key, Marsha. Um, you see, she's looking for something exciting to inspire her. She wants to see something amazing. And Jesus was leading his church to do that. Guys, you want your wife to really get excited about what you're doing? Inspire her with something amazing that you're going to be involved in. Inspire her by saying, oh, we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to do something amazing. Our kids are going to be all over the world. We're going to see people's life change. We're going to save people from death into life. It's going to be awesome. Almost all women are going to respond well to that, guys. And ladies who are single, you ought to look for that in a guy you would date and possibly marry. Is this guy going to do something to, to, to do something to impact eternity, to populate heaven? Or is this just going to become kind of a relationship that's a, a trading of favors? Jesus calls us to live like this. He calls us to be like this. He calls us as couples to point people to Jesus through our relationship. See, marriage is all about mission. It's all about mission. You start out saying, you know, we're going to raise a family. Uh, we're going to work in the church. And it gets more and more specific as you go, and it changes as the seasons change. I love it how Bob and Evie are pray for us every day. Thank you, Bob and Evie. It's part of their mission as a couple toward the church and toward our staff and towards our leadership. Um, there are ways for you to be involved in the mission of God together. So, well, Steve, where do we start? Because really, we're just kind of married. And it's been good, but how do, we, how do we get a mission? Well, first of all, ask the simple question is, does our marriage reflect Jesus and the church? Show the world Jesus and his relationship with the church in your marriage. Well, how do we do that? Because my husband is not leading in that way. Or I don't think my wife is going to follow in that way because she's kind of told me she's not interested in that. Here's what you have to do. Guys, make some effort, even if it's small, to inspire her to do something great. Simply say, I want us to represent Christ well. I, I, here's something I think we could do. Or better yet, make a small or even great sacrifice for her without expecting a return, as Jesus did, as he sacrificed himself for his church, make a sacrifice for her. Don't ask for much, don't ask for anything in return. This is not an exchange of favors. Do something to sacrifice for her. And ladies, do your best to respond to him when he offers some level of leadership. Something. If he says, hey, I want to pray, you get all excited about that. You congratulate him for that. If he says, hey, I actually want to go to church this Wednesday night, and as a couple, I want to be prayed for, you do everything you can. You move heaven and earth to follow him in that. And your marriage will start to take on a different shape. 
help your marriage display or illustrate Jesus Christ in the church. Secondly, make it your mission. If you have children, you're going to have children, you want to have children, raise children who will impact the world for Jesus. This is an incredible mission, and it will last your entire life. And there will be times when you're like, you know what, I don't know if this is working. I'm going to keep but never give up because these children are your greatest opportunity to impact the world by making disciples. You have them generally for about 18 years. Then you get to impact them for the rest of their lives. Don't miss the opportunity to raise children who will be disciples. And if you don't have children, think about how you can impact children in the church or impact children who you have influence over. Maybe there's nieces. Maybe there's nephews. There's other people that you could have influence over. Pray for them. Pray that God would use them and make them amazing followers of his and disciples. And thirdly, make it your mission to serve in the church, to support each other in that. One of you may be great on the creative team, and the other may need to support that. And then the next week, maybe one of you is really want to be a part of the host team. Support that. You may be able to work together in, one, in the children's area. You may be able to work together in, in hosting a life group in your home. Be ready for God to use you as a couple. How does he want to do that? Have that conversation. How does God want to use us in ministry together as we support one another as we follow Jesus? When I felt called to ministry, we went to seminary. And in that, Julie became a children's minister. And I became uh, a full-time student. And I was the guy that picked the kids up from school. I went to the grocery store and did all that stuff. Then when we came and got our first ministry role here in West Palm, that all switched back again. There are times when because of light of your mission, you're going to adjust the way you do things and the way who has whatever role. Know this. There's really not many roles that are limited to a man and a woman or a woman other than nursing. We don't have that ability generally. Um, But understand this. You have to think about how are we going to carry out our roles in order to achieve the mission. I love how this passage ends. Verse 33 says, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If I were to simply give a overview of how are we going to be married, husbands love her. Love her. Wives respect him, which is a form of love. This is how we're wired. Men need respect in order to love. Women need love in order to respect. Once those things get out of whack, you say, I can't love him. I can't respect him. He doesn't love me. The guy says, well, I can't love her. She doesn't respect me. It can't be fixed unless someone says, you know what, especially the man, I'm going to love her anyway because that's what unconditional love is. And Jesus loved me anyway. And the wife says, I'm going to find a way to respect him And then he'll love me. But I want to make sure that I respect him first, expecting nothing in return. Couples, an exercise you can do this week is, guys, you can ask the question, honey, what could I do or stop doing that would help you respect me? What could I do or stop doing that would help you respect me? And wives, you can ask a simple question, honey, what... What could I do or stop doing that would help you love me, make it easier for you to love me? These are tough questions to ask. 
But if you want your marriage to get on mission, this is the way that you can do it. And then you can have that simple discussion to say, how can our marriage be about mission? We've got, maybe we've gotten off track. We've been career-oriented only. We've done different things. We've, we've had all kinds of ideas. But where does our life come? Where does it come into balance where we're going to pursue the mission of God? Have that discussion. Some of you may say, you know, Steve, I, I'd love to do that, but I'm not really a follower of Jesus yet. I would love to help you with that. He died for you. He wants to give you an incredible future in heaven and an incredible purpose on earth. I'd love to talk with you afterwards. Couples, this Wednesday night, join us at 633. We would love to just pray for you. If you need help beyond that, we'd be happy to sit with you and chat with you and help you through the struggles of figuring out a mission. This matters for the kingdom. You wonder what you can do to follow Jesus? Make your marriage a great reflection of Jesus and his church. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.